And so when I buy something from a vendor, I create a commitment. When I receive that inventory, I have an accrued AP. Okay, well, when I do a drop ship, you know, the accrued AP kind of is is gone. So again, when the drop ship is shipped by the vendor, it almost does a three-way match, which moves it right to accounts payable. So it really, it really skips the accrued AP. Now, when I buy inventory, I bring it to my warehouse. When it hits my dock, it's accrued AP. It's a liability. It's on my balance sheet. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most e-commerce companies can survive without dropship. They might not have the funds to carry the inventory or build fulfillment centers to support customers in every location. But dropshipping is not as easy as building the website, finding the vendors and start collecting. Incorporating dropshipping processes as part of your operational and financial workflow is even more challenging. And if your ERP system doesn't have dropshipping processes built as part of the system, it might feel unnatural and you might build ad hoc processes to support them. Also, dropshipping could mean different things to different parties. If you are a dropshipping vendor fulfilling the dropshipping orders, your processes could differ from a manufacturer sending the order to their dropshipping vendor for specific SKUs. So what are the best practices for incorporating dropshipping business processes into your business model and selecting an ERP system designed to support these processes. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss the pros and cons of dropshipping business processes and best practices. We covered many grounds including how dropshipping works and the architectural nuances of enabling this business model. Finally, we discussed the challenges associated with drop with cross-border dropshipping, fulfillment and logistics architecture and why accounting shouldn't be an afterthought for e-commerce businesses and dropshipping business models. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. We always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we are going to be talking about the dropshipping business processes as they are going to be across the system, across the architecture, across the ERP systems. So we are going to be digging into all of that and we are going to have tons of stories that we are going to share with you. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I'm principal at uh, Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital uh, transmitting firm. I've been leading uh, you know, ERP engagements for roughly 20 years and dropshipping is always a very fun topic to discuss. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. Hi, I'm Chris Garadini. I'm the president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. Uh, we've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics ERP solutions for 28 years and two more days. So the birthday is coming up and uh, I look forward to the topic on dropship. Fun topic. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Tom, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks, Sam. And greetings, everyone. Uh, my name is Tom Rodden. I'm the former CIO at Marion Medical Systems, currently an ERP consultant, independent, um, and uh, uh, have been involved in dropshipping from a number of angles uh, over my career. So very interested in tackling this subject with my colleagues. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. 
Dave Griffith, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Dave Griffith. I run a company called Kaplan Solutions, and I like to say we focus on sensible digital transformation, which is where we take technology and we overlay it with operational excellence to make sure that we create the value that you're hoping for. And very excited to talk about dropshipping and share some of my experience. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Uh, Phil, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Hey guys, my name is Phil Kramer. I'm the founder and CEO of Victory4PL. What we do is we help organizations, manufacturers, distributors, and retailers re-engineer the outsourced transportation, warehousing, and fulfillment elements of their supply chain. And then we manage it for them on a day-to-day basis. So I'm happy to be here on this topic. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Phil. And David Dozer, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Um, Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here today. My name is David Dozer. I'm the president of Blaze IT. We're an ERP solution provider, mainly focused in the manufacturing and distribution space. So we've got a a lot of folks doing a lot of things with drop shipping on um, all ends of the spectrum. So so very excited to be a part of the panel today. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys are going to post your questions and comments. We try to cover them during the show. If you cannot get to them, then we, our panelists, are going to make sure that you are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Chris. Uh, and that is going to be just the stories about dropshipping. Uh, and when we look at the dropshipping processes from the system perspective, uh, you know, what are different challenges that businesses need to think about or expect when they are trying to accommodate dropshipping as part of their business? Thanks, Sam. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to be able to address all of them, but I'll hit a, a few characteristics that you see. And, and so let's imagine that we originate a sales order from someplace, right? Whether it's keyed into our system, whether it comes from an e-com site, comes from multi-channel Amazon.com, nonetheless, lands on our system and it's a drop ship. And what that means is it means that I'm not buying the product and bringing it to my warehouse. I'm buying it. The vendor ships it direct. So conceptually, I don't touch any inventory. I'm moving paper. So again, as that transaction lands on a sales order, there's some characteristics and not all systems are equal. And let's do the first one is it's got a line item, says drop ship. And the system behind the scenes has to know who's the vendor that I'm going to buy that product from. So there's a lot of configuration that really has to be right for that to trigger, create a PO link to the sales order that's got the appropriate vendor, price, ship to address, et cetera. And so just that little caveat of complexity, great. Okay, we've got a sales order that's linked to a PO. PO flies out to the vendor. All right, let's assume whether it's EDI or it's email to them. Let's assume the vendor gets the PO. Again, uh, other complications in that process, then, well, did I already invoice the customer? When do I invoice them? And some e-com sites are going to take the money on the front end and it's no big deal. They're done with the transaction when the vendor acknowledges it's shipped. But that's key detail is that vendor acknowledgement. And traditionally in a PO, you do a receiving. Well, in a drop ship transaction, typically you don't have a receipt, you have an invoice, or you could get an advanced ship notice. And so the benefits of electronic integration, let's say that advanced ship notice hits that PO, it receives it, passes a tracking info all the way back to the sales order, converts it to an invoice. Now the customer gets that email authorization. They've got their invoice. They've got their tracking number. The life is magical. Doesn't always work so well. That handoff between the vendor, his shipping, you know, that that transaction that causes this drop ship PO to turn into a, a voucher and an AP invoice and also trigger the release of the sales order for the invoice. Sounds easy. Great. And so that's that's one example where that tracking number handoff. And again, how do I get it to the vendor efficiently, hands off? Um, another challenge that I've got customers that came into that were 100% drop ship is drop ship returns. This becomes a bigger nightmare. Okay. So just as we talk about um, the transaction against the purchase order for the drop ship, it's not really received. It's more like a, a vouchering invoicing process. But in a drop ship return, we have a different complexity. Okay, number one, what, what do I do with that? It's a drop ship return. Is it a sales order return? Is the customer getting a new one? Am I returning it to the vendor? Does the customer ship it to me and I don't have a warehouse and now I have to ship to the vendor? And, and you think about the complexities and it's a disconnected process in a lot of systems where I have a sales order return, I have a PO return. And unfortunately, a lot of systems will take a PO return and immediately put a credit in your AP system. Well, that's a problem because did the vendor get it? Do I have an equivalent process of matching a, a PO return to a vendor receipt of the product where now I'm managing the credits? You can imagine the reconciliation nightmares. And a lot of times companies are so disorganized, they're giving the customer credit, but they're not getting the credit to the vendor. Again, this is an untenable situation if you're doing volume. So I'm only pointing out a couple of the challenges here. And again, that that tracking across and having the hands off on the PO to sales order invoicing and then the returns problem. 
And again, if you think about a business process that handles that, I guarantee you're going to look at ERP system says drop ship returns, big challenge. I'll stop there. Just a couple, not a lot of challenges, right? It's really easy. It okay. <laughs> so I am going to add some more challenges there, right? Because, you know, when we look at the dropshipping model, obviously from the finance and operations perspective, it's really easy because you are not stopping the inventory. But from the systems perspective, it's a lot of challenges, as you correctly pointed out. Now, one of the religious discussions that I get in with my e-commerce buddies, uh, and if you actually talk to any of the e-commerce players, for them, you know, everything is e-commerce uh, and, you know, whatever is left is just accounting. That happens in QuickBooks, okay? That's how they like to think. Now, you know, we are going to do a little walkthrough here in terms of the process and each business is typically different, right? So if you look at, for example, let's say if you talk about furniture business, okay? In the furniture business, the way the dropshipping is going to work is, okay, the manufacturer may be supplying the leads, meaning the consumer is coming to the manufacturer, then the dropship PO is actually going to the retailer. Retailer is booking the payment, but then finally manufacturer is actually fulfilling the, the order. So there could be literally a round trip because you actually booked the order. So you have a lot of different layers there, right? So Chris, from your experience, would you handle the dropshipping in e-commerce? Would you handle in ERP? What would be your perspective? In, in the end of the day, the e-com takes the order, and it's and, and you really have to rely on the back office ERP to, to to manage the relationship between the sales transaction and the transaction. And again, there's a lot of debits and credits there. You're right. So are you having accruals? Are you getting revenue? Are you getting the cost passed through correctly? But it really is an ERP's responsibility to manage those relationships. The e-com really doesn't handle procurement. So again, to build that into an e-com site wouldn't make a lot of sense because it's not a native process or e-commerce, in my opinion. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Tom, I'm actually going to come to you, uh, you know, do you want to share your stories in terms of dropshipping and what are the challenges that you have seen with the dropshipping processes inside ERP, e-commerce? Yeah, I mean, I've dealt with the dropshipping process much more as um, a member of a larger organization, not a not a, a, a shop front uh, e-commerce uh, situation. Um, and I think it's still very relevant. Dropshipping happens at all scales of them. And in my world for many years, uh, what I was seeing was uh, a multinational corporation uh, having manufacturing, sales, distribution in one country and also in other countries. But there was specialization in terms of the product lines that were manufactured in the different countries. And so in order to satisfy a customer who might want product that's locally manufactured and maybe also manufactured abroad, uh, there would be a drop ship process. And, and you really have two options, right? You could you could say, okay, I'm going to locally in my market where my customer wants this product that's made in another part of the company, in another country, I could buy it in and stock it and then just sell it as if it was local from my distri distribution center. Uh, say, you know, in France, we've got an American product and uh, in France, they take the order in the uh, customer service center um, and as Chris was describing, just for maybe an e-commerce site, uh, you know, on a larger scale too, this happens, right? So the French place a PO on the Americans uh, and the Americans, they could ship it to directly to the French entity, the, the company uh, uh, legal entity in France. But what I'm saying is in some cases, in many cases, uh, they would ship it directly to the customer um, and it would be a drop ship, but, it, but it, within the same company. But because of the cross-border nature of it, it had to be fairly arm's length. And so it becomes a pretty genuine uh, drop ship process. Um, and um, generally speaking, um, as Chris was describing, you know, uh, you take the order, uh, that in ERP might trigger a PO on the manufacturing center. You have to have the configuration set up to do this relatively seamlessly and smoothly. Um, you know, you probably know who the source of the supply is if you have multiple factories scattered around the world in your company. Um, different sources of supply. You've defined that maybe in your master data for that product. Um, and, uh, and so the procurement happens, perhaps triggered automatically um, in the ERP. Uh, the sales order may be triggered automatically uh, in the uh, U.S. company in my scenario, right? And they ship now directly to the customer. Um, and then there's a bill that goes from the U.S. company to the French you know, so they have to pay the Americans for what was shipped directly to the customer and the French bill the customer. And then there's a margin between what the Americans charge the French legal entity in the same company 
um, and what the French charge to the end customer, right? So, so there's some margin there. And so that's a real dropship process and, and it can work very well. And within a single ERP, of course, you know, Chris was describing a situation where, you know, maybe you're, 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 you've got a genuine third party, uh, a drop shipper who is not part of your same company in a global sense. Um, and, you know, there's, there's more complexity there even, but even if it is your same company in the big umbrella sense, there's, there's still all of this intercompany transacting POs and sales orders and billing of customer billing of um, the receiving legal entity. Uh, so all of that takes place. And, and I've seen that work pretty well. It takes some setup and, and, and needs thorough testing, but it can work pretty well. You were asking for stories. One of the situations I have been involved in in the past that it was a bit more challenging. I don't want to say it didn't work well, but maybe you could say that had to do with Brazil. So anytime, anytime someone brings up Brazil, you know, you might, you might be in for a rough ride. Yep. Um, and in this case, you know, the Brazilians, um, they had some kind of um, uh, differing levels of tariffs, uh, depending on whether it was, you know, really a drop ship or was it being brought into country um, and stored locally. And, and, and so uh, without getting into all the details, um, it was better to bring it into the country and store it locally and pay the import tariff uh, at that point, uh, rather than the dropship process, which they didn't find as appealing. And, but, so what one of the companies I worked with did was they said, well, we're gonna create a virtual uh, dropship process from a, from a document trail point of view. So electronically, it'll look like we received the product, we put it in the inventory, then we immediately sold it to the customer, and we'll have all these transactions that look like it went through more of a traditional buy, put in inventory, take order, sell to customer. But actually what happened was it was a drop ship physically and having to manage that, reconcile that, um, and then explain that to the tax authorities, <laughs> to, to the uh, customs people, um, and sometimes to the customer when they, had, when they got dragged in, that could get awfully, awfully um, so I think, you know, depending where you're operating, you can be faced with really unusual or unique challenges because drop shipping is not something that everybody is comfortable with or recognizes as a normal and acceptable business process. They somehow think that you're gaming the system here. There's something fishy going on um, when it's really more a matter of uh, generally it's more a matter of just being really efficient. Um, so uh, that's. That's anyway, uh, a story that I had, uh, I lost some, or my hair went gray, I guess, a bit more gray uh, through that period. Yeah, very interesting story. And uh, probably you are going to get the most creative ERP award, um, you know, for tonight. And that's, I don't know if it should be award or punishment uh, to me, <laughs> Frank Sam, but yeah. <laughs> these are the stories that I'm looking for. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. You're welcome. Uh, okay, yeah. Dave uh, Griffith, I'm actually going to come to you. Uh, and do you want to share any story and do you want to cover the comment that we have from the user as well? Uh, so, do you agree, disagree? I'm going to let one of you, uh, you ERP guys, Sam, I feel like I am the non-ERP guy here. So I should let one of the ERP guys uh, cover the uh, <clears throat> cover the statement or the question from the user. I do actually have, have a couple of stories. So Tom's story actually shook some like bad nightmares that I had. So I, I once in the US worked for a company that was based in Germany. And so similar to Tom's stories about having to transfer over in margins, there was that. But then they opened up a facility in China and then another one in France. And then pretty soon your desktop is just populated by four or five or six different e versions of the exact same ERP, some of which were even in English, which th those are the positives when you could read the columns in English. When, when the columns became French and German and uh, other Mandarin languages, that, that became much more difficult to try to figure out where things <clears> were transferring and what the margins look like. Uh, but one of my more topical stories is I spent some time building a supply chain for a relatively small manufacturer's rep distributor. They were probably in the 10 to $20 million a year range. So we had an ERP and we drop shipped somewhere between about 40 to 70% of everything that came through every month. So our goal was there are certainly reasons to hold things in a warehouse, you know, long lead times, or there are better vendor terms, or that it's, it's a very important item to have. But 
basically, if we could, we would go ahead and drop ship quite literally everything we could. So we didn't have to do the handling. We didn't have to store it in the warehouse. There was no additional costs on, on our end. And as I was listening to Chris talk about it, talk about how, how a process should go very well, it, uh, it shook through this, this other story. So we, we would regularly purchase things through a very old foundry um, in New Jersey. And they would never go ahead and re they, they would never go ahead and say, yes, we got the purchase order. What they would do after you called them two or three times is they would fax a carbon copy. So carbon paper, you know, the, the white and the yellow and the pink, they would fax you a copy and they would like sign off on it. And so by the time you're done of actually having received all of the information, you've got a faxed copy, you've got a yellow copy and you have the pink copy and you kind of look at it and you're like, this is, I don't know, 2012. What am I doing in 2012? How, how are we still making? Um, so I, I think that as we look through as to go through to, to build an ERP or to go through and build a, a drop shipping or an organization that drop ships, it becomes important to think that, you know, not every organization is going to be Amazon that you can just go through e-commerce and say, yes, I'd like to purchase this. In especially my experience of the, the B2B world is we're, we're pushing out purchase orders through an ERP, and then I spend the next two days of my life trying to make sure that they got the purchase orders and we know what the lead time looks like. But generally speaking, if you have a well-run organization and you can go ahead and easily drop ship, most people that I find, especially in the B2B space, are very happy because it saves them the cost of you having to bring it in and then ship it out to them, or it saves them the cost of the extra couple of days of turnaround. And so I find that that's very important. And then one kind of topic we didn't bring up that may be valuable to, uh, to some of the listeners is in the industry, in manufacturing, when you distribute things, most of the time is you have very specific geographical areas in which you can, we'll just call it legally sell, right? So under the contracts, you can sell to this state or this region. And so many times you're going to go ahead and drop ship everything you can in there. And so there are other reasons to have a warehouse if you're trying to ship out of region or if you have a customer that is in your region and they're doing a job out of your region. Most of the time you physically have to bring it in to pay the freight to then go ahead and ship it out afterwards. Okay, very interesting commentary there. And by the way, you are probably going to get the, the award for the most creative copy. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so from your story, when you look at this, uh, uh, and by the way, great point about this whole legal separation. I think Tom uh, does a little bit on that as well. And he's probably going to have far more challenges when you are, uh, you know, legally obligated in sort of the medical device and uh, your challenges are going to be far greater. But even in your case, where you have channel conflict, uh, I mean, people don't take that uh, very easily, I guess. Uh, you know, there are going to be fun discussions there. Um, so when you look at the from the planning perspective, when you are planning for territory, when you are, let's say, working with the distributors and manufacturers are planning their own territories. Mm -hmm. So how do you see this working overall from the best practices perspective in the territory design? Have you seen any specific best practices that manufacturers or the distributors should follow? So what I see a lot of are generally the territories for older manufacturers are the territories that are there and there are distributors that already exist in those territories. And generally, if you want to expand the area that you distribute something in, you have to go buy another one of these companies. And especially over the last two or three years, I see a lot of kind of mergers and acquisitions of medium to large distributors for those reasons. Um, I can say because I'm on the outside looking in is that it is very common to go purchase something through a distributor and have them shipped to a house or have it come into the distributor. And then as long as something isn't serial numbered, it can generally be shipped anywhere in the country. And it is, I don't know, it's something that isn't necessarily talked about. And I may or may not be getting in trouble for saying this out loud on your live show, Sam, but it's something generally not talked about. But I think everyone accepts that people are generally shipping things outside of their territories. It's just kind of one of those uneasy agreements yeah. that we're not talking about it. And it generally is all going to come out in the way. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Uh, so, Phil, I'm actually coming to you, and I was holding myself back overall from the WMS and TMS. I was talking about CRM, ECOM, but obviously the WMS and TMS are going to be super critical when you are setting up your dropshipping infrastructure, when you are creating the operational processes for the dropshipping business. So maybe you want to uh, you know, share the perspective from that side, the stories, and if you are in a position to address the comment from the user, 
obviously that would be amazing as well. Um, the comment for the user—it's hard for me to see. Um, okay, so uh, I will read it for you. So yes. it says on returning anything to your supplier, whether due to a customer return or different issues. I think the ERP system should handle that as two independent steps. So I think uh, the user is trying to say from the e-commerce with ERP, uh, and I think they are saying that the ERP should handle that as two independent, as opposed to one step. That would be my understanding of the question. And again, I'll, I'll you know, Sam, I'll tackle it from the, the TMS side of it. Yep. Um, and from the TMS side of it, one of the things that I often see is that Today's systems can now include a return label that is very specific to that shipment, it's tied back to the re, you know the potential return, whether that actually is executed or not within the ERP system. Um, so I, I think that you, you may want to look to answer this question. You may want to look at it as a combination between your ERP and your TMS. Uh, and again, sometimes not just including like, you know, for example, um, I work with a system called TwoShip and, and, and we don't include any labels inside of the packages. But what comes in that confirmation email is a link at that point to initiate the process. And, and during that, we can capture data, uh, ask questions and then facilitate things in the most optimal way. Um, we can facilitate transportation back the, the most optimal way. So the the user's inputs as to um, you know what may have been wrong, uh, and then preferentially or preferentially using a specific carrier with a cost in mind. Which kind of brings me to my point because the angle that I like I know you're you're waiting for it, but the angle that I like to take is who's paying for the freight. <laughs> that that's my world. Yeah. And so. You know, one, and this is, you know, kind of a slightly disconnected angle, but one that, that remains important. So when you're negotiating a deal with a manufacturer to sell products and have them drop ship, there's going to be a component of you negotiating your cost. And, and, it, and it's, my, it's my idea and, and it's my thought process is that you should negotiate the cost of that product independently. Uh, you don't know what level of, of, of discounts that that vendor uh, or, or that manufacturer will utilize. It will end up in a prepay. Potentially, it's built into your cost, or it's going to show up on your invoice as a as a pay or a prepay, and then add to your invoice scenario. The problem with that, again, is you're not utilizing the discounts that you potentially negotiated for your company. And I think the most important thing is is you're not getting credit for that that actual shipment when it comes to your overall spend, and that gets back to leverage. Maximizing your leverage to get the best transportation deals are sometimes lost in drop shipping scenarios because the actual the the, the, the client um, is not the, not the end user, but the client itself is not paying for the freight, and or if it's if they're paying for it, they're not paying for it with their own account. And I think that's an important part to bring up. It, it, it's it's something that when you're negotiating, that's the time to do it. Asking the questions about does this include this? Does this not include that? Um, and, and and I think when companies break those two elements out and they and they separate them i think you'll find that the opportunity to to further save money in negotiating your your actual cost of goods and the transportation will both be, both benefit okay very interesting insight sayer and i completely agree with you that the product cost and the transportation cost must be negotiated separately but the follow up question i'm going to have for you is in some cases you might have the cloud to be able to negotiate that but in some cases you know, take it or leave it, right? That's how negotiations are, uh, right. especially if you're dealing with really large businesses, right? So when you have this situation where some of the vendors are going to be providing their the freight along with the product and they are going to for that, and in some cases, you are going to be responsible for that. So how do you manage these moving parts where some vendors are sort of responsible for freight? In other cases, you are responsible for freight and then you are drop shipping. So you have a lot of different moving pieces there from the process and operations perspective. Right, Phil? Yeah, I mean, but I think, Sam, it's it's not I think asking the questions sometimes starts to, to, to you know, you may not have the leverage with the manufacturer that you, we would all like to think that you may have. Let, let's be yeah. real. But but by but by breaking the conversations down in such a way, you are, in essence, kind of empowering yourself to 
to maybe break down some of those barriers. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of the operational side of it, there may be fulfillment cost as as it relates to the transportation cost. And again, another point where you know you can negotiate that 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 handling. I don't know if I answered your question exactly the way you wanted to. You did. Thank you so much, uh, Phil, for that. Uh, so, Dave, I'm actually coming to you, uh, David Dozer, uh, obviously. So, uh, number one, obviously, if you have any stories that you can share related to dropshipping, we want to hear those. Uh, and since you are the ERP expert in the room, obviously, we have some other as well. But uh, <laughs> do you want to uh, you know, attack this one as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll kind of start with the the question there and get into some stories and and yep. thoughts on that. So you know, from from my opinion on the question of you know returning anything to the supplier um, and you know how that should be handled, I think in most cases the the user there is correct in that it generally is going to be handled as two kind of separate transactions within the ERP system. Um, you've got the return from the customer and then the the RTV or the return to the vendor side, which which generally should be two things. But in you know a a good well set up system you want those two to be linked together because you know some of the issues that the guys mentioned before that can cause a lot of havoc and headache uh, from an accounting standpoint of or even did we issue credit did we not issue credit so you want that kind of three 360 degree picture even though it technically is kind of two separate um separate transactions there now kind of from a, a story side i think the the panel has done a great job of covering you know a lot of the trials and tribulations that that go along with um, you know, with drop shipping and in, in general, um, but a couple things that that I'd kind of like to talk about just from experiences with our customers, and I think Dave has probably experienced some of this as as well, kind of in that manufacturing distribution industry would be conditional drop shipping. You know, if you're talking e-com, you kind of know what's going to be drop shipped. You've got products set up in an appropriate way. But a lot of times we we work with folks that try to keep things in stock and then they get an order in from from their customer and oh no, we're out of stock and it's going to be, you know, another 3 months before we get that in. So talking about, you know, having the system set up in a way to kind of flag you and say, "Oh, well maybe you should drop this. Um, you need to kind of take a look at that and, and review that um, and then get that, you know, that PO cut to the supplier. So it's not always quite as cut and dry. And then a lot of times, too, there's special management that needs to go along with that PO because we a lot of times will we'll have folks that we're, you know, we're sending stuff out to a job site, perhaps. And then we have to coordinate the the timing of, of our vendors drop shipment to that job site to show up at the same time as what we're shipping from stock. So, you know, that all has to be coordinated in the ERP. But then there's some logistics and, and transportation um, things that that need to go along with that as well, too. And, you know, so that's kind of one very detailed piece. And then we, we also have a, another client we work with that they actually are the drop shipper and a service they offer to a lot of their clients is blind um, blind shipping. So that's another kind of setup. I don't want to say challenge, but another concern there, because then you're, you're offering the service to clients and, and a lot of them require different looking packing slips that go out different packaging um, that goes out with it. So as they receive POs from those customers to, to do the drop shipping, you know, there's a lot of setup required with that. And then as far as transferring um, electronically, you know, via EDI, via other methods, those um, ship confirmations, the tracking information back to their customer to, to distribute out. So, you know, there's, when you start talking drop shipping, it sounds very, simple and you see a lot about drop shipping and like oh yeah you can start a drop shipping business today you know there's a lot more that that goes into it than than just that and a lot of in some ways it's it's almost more complex than you know bringing inventory in and, and shipping it out so it's something to really think about from a business perspective and and map out when you're talking about how should this all be set up um you know in my erp yeah, could not agree more. I think the system complexity and the process complexity definitely increases far more, even if you are not storing the inventory something. But overall, from this perspective, the complexity is going to. So there's a little bit of follow-up comment there, you know, on the question. So I don't know if you are going to have any follow-up comments there on this comment. Do you want to attack that? Yeah, and I see the one there. Um, the the potentially unknown final credit amount is what makes it dicey to do all of this in one step when you're getting out of your warehouse. And and 
I'll, I'll say this, that's a big challenge for a lot of our, our customers is, is the alignment of, of those return to vendor and credit type of transactions, because that's exactly what happens. You get it back, you have to put it into stock, your own stock, generally sometimes in, in a hold location or, or something like that, you've got to do your own disposition of it, figure out, you know, is it good, bad? you know, what's going on with it. And then on the flip side, you've got to manage that return transaction with your vendor as well. And, you know, a lot of times they're going to issue an RMA. There's a lot of back and forth. Sometimes we, we have customers that this can take three to six months sometimes to, you know, to figure this out. So, you know, honestly, this is one of those areas there's not necessarily a magic bullet answer to it, but it's about setting up the right processes to manage those coming in, keeping track of it, getting it aligned in the RP and manage it on the vendor side as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually coming to you. And, uh, you know, this is going to be, if you have any sort of follow-up comments, all the comments that have been made so far. (laughs) It's all right. So, good perspectives on this process, but let me just give to the user. So, again, you issue an RMA to a customer. And so, the premise is the only thing that hits your dock, it either has a PO or it has an RMA number, right? And in the mature ERP, the receiving process is generic, okay? You receive an RMA almost like the PO process as well. And again, what happens is it goes into a return site. And then David used the correct word. It's called dispositioning. Yep. What do I do with it? Return to stock, scrap, return to vendor. So the fire off from an RMA process to create the RTB is a link process. Once that's done, okay, they're separate. But I think the point that I challenge is there's not a three-way match on a, on a PO return process. Standardly in an ERP system, there's the gap likes to throw the credit over there. And that's where this reconciliation is where the nightmare's at. You know, you give the customer the credit right away. It's like, did I, anyway, and it could take months to that point. Um, so just, a, you know, a few other, as you think about, you know, you mentioned it, Dave, I've got a client now we just implemented. Um, they've got a, a, a disconnected sales organization. So they've got a group of people selling their product, omni-channel, and they're getting packing slips from everybody. And to David's point, Oh, they want the customer to get the pack and slip from Amazon or Porsche or whoever's selling this thing. And the complications of passing packing slips, because you certainly don't want to modify your ERP to generate all these unique packing slips that match all the third parties. So a lot of complexities in those handoffs. And likewise, the handoffs, collecting, tracking, back, 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 costing and so forth. So labeling, labeling management, passing serials back and forth. There is a lot of uh, complexities in integration. Um, I'll use one more story. So we go back to that. Who do I buy it from? And again, if you're all drop ship, the vendor pricing is dynamic. Don't you think that you can have a static ERP and say, oh, I just took that order. I'm buying it from the same guy. So I've got a client where he's got 10, 10 million SKUs, 10 million. And the algorithm runs twice a day and it reshops everything and it updates the primary vendor and the, and the purchase cost. Now, there's an interesting app if you think about just complexities to support. And if we're e-com, and we're drop shipping, it's a moving target. So just keep that in mind as a complexity you want to manage. We talked about the return complexity. So in the label complexity, there's a lot of it. So so yeah, so very interesting commentary there. And I want to touch a little bit more on the on the three-way match because obviously my e-commerce buddies are not going to understand what a three-way match is, to be honest, okay? They just don't get it. So now, you know, if you look at, and uh, by the way, Chris, I don't know whether you have followed our series, e-commerce series. We are reviewing every single e-commerce platform out there. Okay, and one of the consistent trends that we are seeing in that is going to be that every e-commerce platform has very deep drop drop shipping functions. And the way they do drop shipping is everything from your order taking to your fulfillment, everything happens inside e-commerce, and then they figure out the accounting. Okay, accounting is just afterthought. Okay, that happens somewhere in the so if you were to teach them what is a three-way match, how would you say sure and how are they doing three-way match here? Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, and so, you know, I'm a technical guy developer. I grew up in a public accounting firm, so my accounting skills are just profound. And, and again, the problem with developers being e-com, they don't know accounting. So, again, there's the world, and the back office guys go, well, what does is, what is three-way match do? So, let's talk about accrued accounts payable. And so, when I buy something from a vendor, I create a commitment. When I receive that inventory, I have an accrued AP. Okay, well, when I do a drop ship, you know, the accrued AP kind of is – is gone. So again, when the drop ship is shipped by the vendor, it almost does a three-way match, which moves it right to accounts payable. So it really, it really skips the accrued AP. Now, when I buy inventory, I bring it in my warehouse. When it hits my dock, it's a accrued AP. It's a liability. It's on my balance sheet, right? Inventory, liability. So a debit and a credit. Again, in a drop ship world, there's no accounting entries until the vendor invoices me for the drop ship, and then it books an AP 
right? A liability and, you know, it hits an in, it hits a, it hits a cog. So there's a different entry with a drop ship where it's really not going through balance sheet inventory. And the problem with the credits is it's a contra liability. So again, an accrued AP is a, is a credit liability. It's just like AP. When I invoice it, it moves from a credit to a, an invoice credit, un, uninvoiced or, un, or accrued liability or credits. It's a visibility and it's a big balance sheet. And again, if you're running 5% credits or returns, again, your, your financial statements aren't accurate. And again, I know the e-com guys don't care about that. The back office people do. And if we're a small company doing a few million, who cares? We're 100 million and we're doing volume and our accrued credits could be three, four million. It's a big deal in terms of financial position. And again, if you go through a, a year end, you're, you're misrepresenting your financial statements. Again, if you're a QuickBooks customer, you're hosed because QuickBooks just doesn't support the complexities in this world. So enough said. Sorry. Okay, so he, he, here's the comment you are going to get from my e-commerce buddy. That's too much accounting. That's right. Okay, it's, he doesn't yeah. get commerce. He doesn't get commerce. <laughs> Accounting is imperative. You know, P&L, margin, customer analytics, margin on a sales transaction. I mean, you know, these are all the things that help you improve the way you manage your business, buy your products, deliver your services, and in the end, count the cash you get to keep. So, again, okay. developers don't care about accounting. I get it. I get it. So <laughs> Amazing. Amazing insight there. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Tom, I'm actually coming to you. Okay, any comment on the comments that have been? Um, well, I have one comment on some of the other comments and uh, maybe one fresh little tidbit. Um, so in terms of uh, the process, Chris was just describing that one of his clients in, employs uh, to reassess on a, I don't know if it was daily or, or uh, on some very frequent basis to reassess suppliers and pricing and redecide who's the vendor of choice um, and even update systems to make that a default value. So uh, orders are processed with that vendor as the source uh, who is offering currently the best price. Um, that, uh, in, in a little bit of my recent research around drop shipping, um, I, I came across the term drop surfing. And I don't know if other people have heard this. It was new to me, but um, that's exactly what Chris was describing. So um, there were people drawing a distinction between drop shipping, which is considered to be a... Uh, more traditional partnering process, if you will. You engage in a contract, you build a relationship over time, you have a certain um, uh, maybe annualized cycle for renewals, and you do maybe get some kind of relatively stable pricing, and then you can rely on that. And then there is a, uh, a, a, a I guess, a, a wave of uh, players out there saying, I can optimize my margins if I engage in a process like Chris described. And, and so they're continually surfing through maybe the internet, uh, through catalogs, um, and finding the best price for a relatively similar, if not identical product out there in the marketplace, and then leveraging that. And so continually shifting from one supplier or drop shipper to another in order to maximize their margins. Um, now, I, I hadn't heard this drop surfing versus drop shipping, shipping terminology before, but uh, what Chris described was, was the, what I understood to be this new drop surfing tendency. So I thought that was interesting. I just share that. Um, the other thing I thought maybe was a little different than we've discussed so far um, was uh, the, the aspect of product. Um, so we've talked a lot about customer, and that's certainly appropriate. We've talked about the supplier or drop shipper, and that's appropriate. We've talked about the process. We even talked about technology and, and uh, the, the underpinnings behind all of the process, uh, the supporting technology. But um, one of the things that um, I think is also relevant uh, is the product itself, um, that it affects the processes or it affects the costs of executing a, a drop shipping process. Um, if you have a product that is perishable, that requires refrigeration, if you have a product that you're dealing with that is in some way a hazardous material and it requires special handling, if you have products that will change what might be, you know, the initially you'd think very simple process of picking, packing, shipping, delivering um, to be something considerably more complex and expensive, that will maybe change your calculations as to how attractive uh, dropshipping might be. And frankly, it might become more attractive. You know, you might say, I don't want to deal with 
these kinds of complexities in my supply chain. I am no specialist in handling this, even if I have some distribution operations. I don't want to bring that into my warehouse. I don't want to be handling it. If it's highly fragile materials, I don't want to be picking it, uh, you know, receiving it, putting it away, then picking it again. I, I don't want to be handling it multiple times, not because it's expensive to have the labor even, although that's true too, but because the product itself is fragile. So uh, there might be a whole lot of reasons why from a product perspective, you might say there is a disadvantage or maybe a big advantage to using a drop shipping process. Yeah, I completely agree. In fact, I mean, see, I was thinking that I was the only one who used to think a lot more about product because, you know, product drives everything. Product actually dictates what kind of processes you are going to have and what kind of systems uh, you are going to be needing. But I really like your perspective, the way you are thinking that, you know, the products are going to be the drivers uh, at the SKU level. You need to decide, okay, which are the SKUs that you are going to be storing internally versus what you are going to be storing externally. Uh, am I reading this right, Tom? When I am Yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate to put it in quite so stark terms saying that's okay. the deciding factor, but I think okay. it's a factor for sure. Phil, you have a comment? Yeah, I think one of the factors is, 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 is not only that, but then the other thing that I've been involved in too is looking at where are the concentration of the clients? Where is the concentration of the drop yep. shipments actually going to? So we've done, we've done a bunch of types of analysis where we could help a, 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 help a, 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 a potential customer or one of our clients make a decision as to whether dropshipping even works for where their clients are. So they could be a national company out of the Midwest, but all of their sales are in the Northeast. And so there are considerations to, to make with that. I thought the other good point that Dave made was the conditional dropship. Um, that that's a complicated thing because not only does it, does it take the ERP to, to to make that decision and know when to to split that up, but it takes some good partners on the back end um, to actually make that coordination. Because often, Dave is right. Often, you it, it has to be seamless. They have to show up at the same time, and that's not especially today. It's not easy to do because nobody's doing what they're supposed to right now. But it, it that it's just a good point that you bring up and it's something that if you're in that situation your erp does that you know it's it's quite a task to pull off and, and do it over and over again okay amazing thank you so much Phil, for that uh tom any follow-up comments there no uh, well just on on phil and dave's point um on the conditional piece as well um i, I think there there was a uh a hint maybe in some of what dave was saying around availability being a driver behind that and I think um, you know, Phil reminded me that in some of my experiences, um, there was also a simple logistical question, right? So if we uh, have customers that are very remote, um, uh, we don't have facilities. You know, maybe in a lot of places we do, and we bring things into inventory, and that's how we normally operate. But for some very remote customers, uh, we don't want to bring something from I don't know, um, uh, let's say. Uh, the U.S. maybe into uh, France, which then ultimately gets shipped on to Poland. Um, you know, we'll just go straight to Poland. Uh, again, maybe not a great example, but just the point being that um, there's there's no truly local physical operations, even though we have distribution centers and logistical capabilities in many places. Some customers are so distant that it doesn't really make sense to bring it into the closest location because it's still pretty remote you might as well go direct um, and so i think there could be an availability question where you're trying to slice off at least some days some time but it could also be just there's no physical rationale to do a receipt and inventory and then another shipment um, of the vendors you know the supplier's product because it, it's just incredibly inefficient and costly and still distant so you know taking into account your your network your physical network, and that may also drive this conditional type of behavior. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. So Dave Griffith, I'm actually going to come to you. Any any comment on comments? 
Sam, I have so many comments on comments, uh, but this is only an hour show, so I'm going to try to keep it short. Um, I, I wasn't ready for Chris to throw us uh, elbows deep into the finance side of things, uh, so thank you for that, Chris. Uh, but but with, with that, Chris and Phil and Tom and everyone brought up a very good uh, Phil's comment in relation to negotiating the shipping costs differently and who is paying for shipping costs. When I when I talk about that, I talk about you know what what is the total cost of ship, right? So what is the total cost, and where can you potentially slice off? Uh, margin or percentages, or can I negotiate a better deal with my shipper if I take all of this internally? And some of those shipping deals are are, are really, really good. Um, and then also, we, we talked a lot about e-commerce and we talked about ERPs. Uh, in, in my experience, I like to look at like what the process is that you have as an organization and compare that against what I assume you guys are going through um, on your other uh, on your other show, Sam, as to what is the process that my ERP or my e-commerce platform has and what changes will I have to make as an organization versus what changes will we potentially have to pay to make on the platform? Um, I went through a implementation in which the organization decided that we're going to accept whatever best practices were on the platform. And that was a very painful change organizationally, culturally, and just kind of in general, because there were a lot of things that didn't particularly make sense, but this is the way we're doing it because we're not paying for custom development to change it to the way that uh, that we're doing it. Uh, we, we also made the comment on uh, RMAs, and uh, I, I think that we made some really good comments, I, I guess, kind of on my one thought is that B2B RMAs can generally be many months long, and if you guys do millions of dollars of work with a particular company, they're not necessarily worried about the $5,000 or the $10,000 part because eventually you're going to get that figured out. If you are an individual who is considering starting a drop shipping service and you have come across this, that is generally not the case in the B2C world. Um, on Amazon, if I buy something and there's an issue with it, I want to return it and I want my return you know, from the moment I drop it off at the FedEx or the Coles. The and then I want to go be able to spend the money again. So th there are just two very different worlds um, along those points. And then to David's other comments on, on blind shipping, I think it's a, it's a very good comment. I think it's very important and we probably didn't touch on it quite enough. Um, generally, you have these uh, distributors and you have networks, right? And so a lot of the time you have partners that sell similar products or the same products and you have agreements that you're not going to sell within territories. And so you'll have a theoretical competitor blind shipping to your customer because you have an agreement that you're going to absolutely stay out of each other's territories. And especially when a customer needs something very quickly, I think when a customer needs something very quickly um, and supply exists somewhere, that, that's a prime example of why you would drop ship or why you would blind ship and you will go do anything you need in order to make sure that your your customer will continue to run. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. Phil, uh, any comment on comments? I have a question for you guys. Let's see. Let's, let's see. Do you, on a business to business perspective, do you guys feel that this whole trend towards um, same day on demand deliveries is going to really hurt drop shipping the, the, at, at a 30,000 foot level? Because that's, that's kind okay. of. Dave, you want to take that? Yeah. I'll take that. I'm going to say no, Phil, because I see a lot of companies that stock and warehouse things, and they have trucks that are out running every single day. So I think there is certainly the opportunity to bring things in overnight and get them 24 hours later. I think a lot of it also depends upon what you're offering and what you're selling. If if you're selling something that you can Amazon you know, next day or you can go to a store and pick it up, then I think you're going to find that pain point of, hey, I can get it days or weeks faster. But if you're in more of the, the B2B, more of the larger uh, customized specific items, I don't think you're going to run into a lot of those issues of same day or next day shipping because most places just don't have it to give it to you the same day or next day or faster than they're currently. Amazing. Uh, any follow-up comments there, Phil? Uh no, uh, no. I, I think um, this is a, this is a really interesting discussion. It, it, it creates thought as to you know when and when not to use drop shipping, but it, it goes well beyond that. It goes into the real details and the thoughts that you have from a cost perspective to the capabilities of your ERP. These are all things that have to be taken into consideration. How does your TMS? How does your WMS all interact with with your ERP to make this happen? To to make it seamless accounting. Um, and, and so many good points brought up. So uh, I, that's my point. 
Okay, amazing. And David Dozer, uh, you know, I'll let you address this question as well because you are the one who will be next. Uh, <laughs> and any other comments? <laughs> All right, that, that's perfect. I, I do want to say um, when I heard accounting as an afterthought earlier, my heart <laughs> palpitated a, a little bit, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> thought I might keel over there. Um, but, you know, in all seriousness, I, I think everyone's, you know, brought up a huge number of good points. And really, you know, one thing we've really seen lately, at least with a lot of our customers too, is doing more drop shipping. And I think that's kind of been, you know, partially because of just kind of how the supply chain's looking, how things are going. You know, there is complexity in that, but really kind of scaled back what core products are going to be, you know, part of our offering, so to speak, and everything outside of that is now, you know, getting drop shipped. And, and again, it goes back to an overall business strategy of, okay, how are we going to, you know, maximize our, our profits? How are we going to get things to our customers in a, in a timely fashion? All, all of those sort of things kind of go in, in together and, and work on top of each other. I'm all, I'll, you know, kind of to, to Phil's question earlier too, um, I think Dave answered that very expertly, but, you know, that's something too. I, I don't know that we're going to see really a shrinkage of time a lot in, in the manufacturing and, and B2B space just because of the the nature of it there. But I have seen there is a little more pressure just with kind of the Amazons and, and that sort of communication and just kind of that personal expectation now is kind of starting to flow over a little bit, you know, even into the B2B. So it's kind of amped up expectations there and, and thusly the need to, you know, get these drop shipping systems in place to, to be able to expedite things um, as necessary. So, you know, again, it's becoming a bigger part, I think, of especially in the B2B world, um, a bigger part of that business. Um, so again, it's, you know, you got to look at it from a strategy standpoint and get the system aligned and do the accounting. You got to do the accounting. <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave with that thought. <laughs> All right. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, David, for that. So Chris, uh, the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice. We have roughly three minutes and five people. Sure. So my advice is, as you look at, and if you're already in the dropship, just as you examine your process, or if you're contemplating into it, know your costs, know where there's, you know, capability challenges. We're going to have to have manual processes to deal with reconciliations and costing and just, and understand the timing of the accounting transactions. And, you know, part of the reason that when you do an RTV, it books the credit to AP because it credits your, it puts the revenue in there right away, but it's not, again, there's a disconnect. So just chase through. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, Chris. Uh, Tom, what would be your closing advice, please? Um, my advice is that drop shipping is not or shouldn't be considered a business model. It should be considered a means to an end. Um, and one of the uh, scenarios that we didn't have time to talk about, and I'll take two seconds on this, Sam, but it is, you know, when we're talking about conditional uh, drop shipping, um, one of the things that occurred to me as we were sharing was the idea of market initial market entry you know when you don't want to stock initially you may ultimately if you think this is a great opportunity to sell this product you might want to bring it into stock and and store it and ship it uh, from your own inventory but you might say initially i don't know what the demand will be i don't know if there's a real market for this and you might say i'm going to de-risk this by initially initially going with the drop ship process um, so I think, you know, whether it's availability driven or it's uh, handling and cost or it's uh, maybe just risk mitigation, um, there's a whole bunch of reasons. And it's, it's really about um, being a means to an end. What's the point? What are you trying to accomplish? And that may lead you to drop shipping as an answer. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. So, Dave, we don't have a minute, and we have three people. Closing advice, please. Absolutely. I would say it's 2022. If you are not drop shipping as part of your business model, you should have a very good reason why you're not doing that, including looking through the financials and seeing that it's going to cost you more money, as opposed to going through and doing some amount of drop shipping. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Phil, what would be your closing advice, please? Make sure that you negotiate your product cost and your transportation and your handling costs separate. You need to know what your product costs without those other things in. That's my advice. Love it. Thank you so much. Uh, David, what would be your closing advice? I'll ditter everyone else and then round it out with, you know, make sure you got the systems in place to account for all of this. Do your accounting. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right. Amazing advice, uh, David. Uh, so that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you guys are free. 
we are going to come back with another topic. On that note, thanks everyone for your time and insights tonight. See you everybody. Take care. I don't think our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Griffith, head over to dave-griffith.com. It's d-a-v-e-g-r-i-f-f-i-t-h.com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about David Dozer, head over to blazeitweb.com. It's b-l-a-z-e-i-t-w-e-b.com. If you want to learn more about Phil Kramer, head over to victory4pl.com. It's v-i-c-t-o-r-y-4-p-l.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Phil Kramer, who shares his insights into integrated supply chain planning and why companies need to have an integrated strategy for their supply chain. Also, the interview with Will Hare, who shares his insights into Amazon's business models. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.